On January 6th, we all witnessed the gleeful desecration of our temple of democracy and a violent insurrection against our republic. It was a day unlike any other in our nation's history. And for us, it was a day defined by chaos, courage, tragic loss, and resolve. Our profession is rooted in a culture of guardianship. And there has been no better representation of this than what the world witnessed from our police officers on January the 6th. On the day democracy faced maximum danger, these public servants responded with maximum valor. So on behalf of the United States Congress and the American people, it is my honor to present the Congressional Gold Medal to the United States Capitol Police, the Metropolitan Police, and every hero of January 6th. We acknowledge that no honor, no recognition can bring back the officers we lost to the attack. We mourn their loss. We pray for their families. May this medal, the highest honor that Congress can bestow, serve as a token of our nation's deepest gratitude and respect. Lincoln stood on the ground consecrated by the blood of patriots and spoke to the duty to defend democracy. History will forever note that on January 6th, democracy lived on because of them. With great patriotism, determination, and resilience, they answered the call to serve, putting their lives on the line to protect the Capitol, the Congress, and the Constitution. The uh, Truth and Democracy Coalition was formed to build a pro-democracy movement in America. We educate the public about disinformation, teach people to be critical of the propaganda they consume, and provide critical analysis of current events and social issues. We produce media and educational materials, hold seminars and meetings, work with other organizations, and organize events and activities geared towards building a pro-democracy movement in America. The coalition uh, seeks to build communities of people of different faiths and ideologies to defend and promote democracy locally, nationally, and globally. We're also on YouTube and Facebook, and our YouTube page is youtube.com slash at Truth and Democracy Coalition. So what I want to do first is make some announcements and then introduce Dom and myself, and we will leave time at the end for questions and discussion. Uh, but first, I want to tell you about our upcoming events. Mark your calendars for early next year to be in Whittier or to hold an event in your city on January 6th to celebrate democracy. We will be calling for a national holiday on January 6th to remember what happened and to celebrate democracy. Our event will be at 7 p.m. on Friday, January 6th at Whittier City Hall. And if anyone wants to do an event in their town, please email email me, and it's richproceda64 at gmail.com. And I'll put all these links in the chat. But we plan to have music, food, and speakers. Then on January 8th at 2 p.m. of next year, we will be moving past political rancor with braver angels. They will tell us their techniques 
for depolarizing discussions about social and cultural issues. To register for that, go to tinyurl.com slash braverangel. And finally, I want to thank you for your support as we advance forward in our efforts to defend democracy. And you can find us at truthanddemocracycoalition.com. Now let's move to our program. Uh, my name is Rich Frosita. I'm the founder of the Truth and Democracy Coalition and the host of the Truth and Democracy podcast. I will identify five lessons for Democrats this election. But before I speak, we're honored to have our co-host, Dom Jones. Uh, she's a community leader, business owner, TV personality, and co-founder and chief creative officer of Democracy an organization that helps young women run for office. She works to build unity and love among neighbors and to free our nation from division and strife. So welcome, Dom Jones. You ready, Dom? I am, I am. Hello, everyone. I'm so excited to be here with everyone. Once again, some of you I've been here with before and others I'm just now getting to know. I know many of you all had did so much in this election. Mid, you walked and you knocked on doors. You got others to vote of uh, your friends or your family. And I just want to stop before I continue to take a moment and say thank you. I myself, as an activist, I am, I call myself a peace activist activist, peace, P-E-A-C-E. -E. And you might feel like, well, what does that mean? Well, that means this, that no matter the political divide, we seek to find peace. As far as it depends upon us to be peaceable with all men and women. Now, does that mean that we don't fight for justice and fight what is right for equality, equity, and parity to do the right things that make our country stand as a noble beacon to the world? Absolutely, it means that we don't ignore that. But it also means that we realize that unity and coming together, every single nation in the history of this of humanity has had an inflection point where they have had to stop and have someone rise to the top, remind us that we are humans first, not Republicans or Democrats. Were you born a Republican? <laughs> were you born a Democrat? Was that your title? Absolutely not. You were born as a human being. So I am here to allow us to remember that we're humans and we all want the same things. Go ahead and unmute yourself, Rich. Your presentations are always so positive and wonderful. And, and my may be more controversial, but I think that's one reason why people come, you know, because we say things that they're not going to hear elsewhere. And we, we do need to be um, critical and aware and, um, and be open to different points of views. And we, this program, we are open to different points of views. We're not just telling you people what they want to hear. We're telling them uh, what we think is going on and giving an honest analysis. So thank you so much, Tom. Americans rejected extremism this election. Uh, voters rejected mega Republicans, election deniers, and former President Donald Trump. The election was not a wholesale rejection of the Republican Party or a ringing endorsement of the Democratic Party. Same Republicans won and Florida, Texas and large swaths of the country remain deep red and America is still deeply divided. Just as Trump 
doesn't have to reach the majority of Americans to take over the Republican Party. Foreign agents, grifters, and other propagandists needn't appeal to the majority of Americans to make money, spread lies, and build movements. Whether their propaganda alienates Americans doesn't matter as long as they can raise money and build a following. I, I, what I want to do is I want to play a few, sh a short excerpt from an interview of Fiona Hill. It's very, very short. You know, Putin, sadly, has got all of our political class, every single one of us, including the media, exactly where he wants us. He's got us feeling vulnerable. He's got us feeling uh, on edge. And he's got us questioning the legitimacy of our own systems. But how much of our polarization, of the fact that we are heads butting in, the, in this country, how much of that came from the Russians? Well, certainly in 2016, a lot of it did. But they don't invent the divisions. The Russians didn't invent partisan divides. The Russians haven't invented racism in the United States. But the Russians understand a lot of those divisions, and they understand how to exploit them. Do you think we're in a second Cold War? I don't think that we're in a second Cold War. The one thing that people need to bear in mind is that the Russian military still has the capacity to wipe out the United States uh, through a nuclear strike. But there is no ideological struggle. The Cold War uh. were two systems against each other. In a sense, we're in the same system. We're competitors. So what I want to take away from that video, and I'm, I'm not sure that I would agree with her that there isn't an ideological struggle here. I think that struggle is between authoritarianism and democracy. But what I want you to take away is that Putin can manipulate us. Intelligence agencies tell us that Russia and other foreign nations are interfering in our elections and disseminating propaganda. While Putin didn't invent hatred and bigotry, he can use them to exacerbate our division, divisions and influence our attitudes. And Putin isn't the only one who's spreading divisive propaganda. So let's, let's define propaganda, because I think that's important. Propaganda is any material disseminated to the public to influence opinions, beliefs, or attitudes of groups of people. Synonyms for propaganda are messaging, narrative, advertising, public relations. Everyone uses propaganda. We are all steeped in it all the time. According to French philosopher Jacques Hulot, propaganda is everything we use to make sense of our chaotic world. Now, I just returned from the American Academy of Religion and the Society of Biblical Literature annual meeting in Denver, Colorado, and I attended a number of discussions on Christian nationalism and neoliberalism. I even went to one presentation of papers on neoliberal spirituality. The people who attend the annual meeting are all professors and PhD candidates, and these are people near the top of the propaganda machine, not the top, but near the top. They are the intellectual leaders whose major business is publishing textbooks. Putin and other propagandists take these ideas and use them against us. 
a well-known fact cited by Fiona Hill in her new book, is that Putin is paying people to interfere in our elections. Some organizations and activists on both the right and the left are being funded by sources like Vladimir Putin and other politicians and propagandists are using these same narratives for their own purposes. There are others who are simply under the influence of propaganda, including people in the academy. Academia is not devoid of extremism and um, propagandists, including organizations and activist groups, all use similar messaging to raise money and build movement. So we often think of propaganda as extremist or false. This is all background information that you need. But propaganda is not limited to conspiracy theories and the dark web. It is instead the overarching narrative where we are be that we are being sold. And it has been going on for a long time. And you're going to see what I mean as I go through this discussion. So some of the nefarious propaganda being spread right now is the idea that only one side is under the influence of false propaganda, or one side is more under the influence of false propaganda. Um, we are all under the influence of propaganda because we are all exposed to media, messaging, and advertising. And the highest levels, propagandists create overarching narratives that frame our worldview. And that's why it's important to be critical of the information we consume, because propaganda makes people stop thinking as if the only thing that matters is what side you're on. It tells us who to blame. Anger, fear, and negativity are its primary emotions. These, there are things to fear, of course, but propaganda exacerbates these fears and instills us, it instills negative attitudes in us towards people, groups of people. So, Propaganda is more about attitudes than facts. If true facts can cause people to attack liberal ideas, so much the better for the fascist propagandist who wants to set people against liberalism. It's up to us to ensure that we do not allow extremists to undermine our ability to win elections, just as Trump undermined the Republican chances of a red wave election. So there are five lessons we must learn from the Republican flirtation with extremism. The first is obvious. Socialism and wokeness are political ideas that kill us in Florida and across the country. Democrats should reject these labels and the ideologies they refer to. Everything doesn't have to be consistent with socialist ideology, and we don't need Marxist ideology to understand what's, ha what's happening or to promote specific policies. In fact, using and referring to socialism does more harm than good. Liberal democracy is under attack in America and around the world. A part of that attack is the attack on liberalism generally. Not only do we mis misuse negative labels like neoliberalism against democratic candidates for office, there are forces on the left working to undermine our democratic institutions. That some of people are aware of it, what they're doing, others are not. The attack on liberalism is part of the larger attack on liberal democracy. 
We often view propaganda as material that's designed to rally people to one side or another, but propaganda can also be used to demoralize and mislead the opposition. There's both covert and overt propaganda. And on the left, we have some covert propaganda, materials where the primary source is unknown. This type of propaganda is designed to, often designed to stoke divisions and cause us to lose elections, not win them. It is covert fascist propaganda, often disguised as socialism, Marxism, anti-racism, critical race theory. To be sure, not, not all of these materials are false, but they are simply being used by propagandists to raise funds, influence people, and instill people with negative attitudes toward America, liberalism, democracy, and the entire Western world. So socialism and liberalism are different. Liberalism is the antidote to authoritarianism. For liberalism, the individual is the basic political unit, not class or racial or gender groups. And individualism is the basis of human and civil rights. It is the individual's right as against the state, not the rights of classes and groups against others or the family as in conservatism or the state as the primary social unit in authoritarianism. Uh, socialism is in some ways fundamentally at odds with liberalism. And, and think about it. If one is a Marxist or socialist, America must be the evil empire. It is, after all, the leader of the capitalist world. It is the supreme capitalist country in the world. From a socialist perspective, America must be the great Satan. That's the attitude Putin is appealing to when he refers to America, NATO, and the entire Western world as Satan. This is fascism masked as Marxist socialism. Before we go any further, let's look at Russia's propaganda. Putin's propaganda is anti-American, anti-liberal, anti-democratic, anti-NATO, and anti-Western world. Anything that can be described this way helps Vladimir Putin spread his ideas. And that's why I have a rule. And it goes like this. From Tucker Carlson to Cornell West, if it helps Vladimir Putin, put it to the test. When our messaging is anti-American, anti-liberal, anti-democratic, anti-NATO, or anti-Western, it aids Putin and spreads his message. We must avoid spreading these types of ideas if we want to rescue our democracy. The second thing we must not do is to tear down the foundational documents of our democracy. Critical race theory is highly negative for the Constitution our, and our founding fathers. But we need people to believe in democracy and to defend the Constitution. We need to build upon our democratic institutions, not tear them down. Simply because the founders of our nation did not live up to the standards they set for our country does not mean that the principles they laid out in the Constitution are unsound. The Constitution is a living and breathing document. The founders gave us the right to amend it, and we have. 
our founders were doing something new. And there were furious debates about this. So the U.S. Constitution has become a model for countries throughout the world. And much of South America remains Democrat, despite a number of disastrous American interventions. While democracy is backsliding all over the world, South America remains far more democratic than Africa because of, and not in spite of, America's preference for democracy. These stable democracies are more resistant to the wave of authoritarianism that has swept the world. So we need our constitution. We need people to defend the constitution, to believe in democracy. We need to build upon these foundations, not tear them down. We can't with one hand proclaim democracy and with the other knock it down. Anything that tears down the foundations of our democratic institution aids Vladimir Putin. And it's often wrong and too negative about America and American history. Third, Democrats must not push identity politics in our schools. Polls tell us that parents feel schools have become too political. Anti-racist educators told us they were teaching history, something schools have always done, by the way. Come to find out they're conducting anti-racist identity trainings. Parents are being confronted with pronouns they don't understand and ideologies they don't care for. This is fertile ground for Putin's propaganda. Uh, many parents get angry upon receiving a letter from their child's school informing them of their child's new pronouns. The expensive, heavy-handed, and intrusive approach to teaching identity in our public schools is more about making money than it is about teaching history. It's divisive and unnecessary. Our democracy is under attack, and the problem isn't in our schools. Additionally, the views and attitudes expressed in much of anti-racist ideology are highly negative towards the United States, the Constitution, and the founders. That these criticisms are at least in part true is even better for Putin. These criticisms are being used to set Americans against their own democratic institutions. Our schools should teach individual rights protected by our constitution, rather than encouraging young people to identify primarily as class by class, race, or gender identity. Now, I went to the American Academy of Religion meetings last week, attended a number of panels on Christian nationalists. I was happy that my questions and comments were well received at the meeting. And I made this point, if we, meaning leftists and Democrats, fall into the trap of putting Christianity on the ballot in a way that asks Americans to vote against Christianity, we will lose. And we will lose more Latino voters. So the fourth lesson is that Democrats must not put Christianity on the ballot. Discussions of Christian nationalism are often overbroad and quickly devolve into critiques of all of Christianity. Is any Christian whose faith informs their politics a Christian nationalism? So I told one panel that we need to stop talking about the history of Black social justice and civil rights preaching as the exception to the rule and instead make it the rule. 
I call for them to preach justice from their scriptures. If we believe that Christian nationalists are wrong about the Bible and Christianity, we must teach the proper way to interpret scripture rather than focus on the negative and highly problematic political label, Christian Nazi. Christian nationalists really isn't far that far from saying Christian Nazi. It's really not. It's not just Latino immigrants and who are Christians. It's Filipinos and Asians and as well as African and both South and Central Americans are Christians. The great majority of immigrants coming into this country are Christian. We really have to think about what we are doing and not fall into the traps propaganda set for us. Dr. Philip Gorski, co-author of The Flag and the Cross, White Christian Nationalism and the Threat to American Democracy, spoke at the meeting, and he agreed that we can't just be critical all the time. We will not win if all we are is critical of America's institutions and Christianity. The threat of Christian nationalism appeals to those who already hold negative attitudes towards Christianity. It may be able to pack lecture halls and fill Zoom meetings, but it can't win elections. Christian nationalism can get some people's blood boiling, but Democrats risk alienating Americans and immigrants when they appeal to anti-Christian sentiment and call Christians Nazis. If liberals think Christian nationalists are wrong, they should preach social justice and not simply use demonizing labels. So Democrats should take a more positive approach. In these days of extremism and division, we must all teach moderation. Christians should preach the correct interpretation of scripture, not simply condemn Christian nationalists. Furthermore, Democrats should not push divisive narratives. We should get comfortable with the use of scripture to support our positions and not be offended by it. This is how we can reach out to all Americans and to incoming immigrant communities at the same time. Finally, Democrats must not aid and abet fascist dictators like Vladimir Putin. Some on the left have sided with Putin, spread his propaganda, and called for an end to military aid for Ukraine. Few scholars think we should deprive Ukraine of the ability to defend itself. We cannot defend democracy at home and be unwilling to defend it abroad. We cannot proclaim democracy with one hand and then kill it with the other. That's a recipe for disaster. I think most Americans realize that we need to defend democracy. Dictators are undermining democracy around the world. Western democracies cannot stand by and simply allow authoritarian nations to violate territorial boundaries and sovereign rights of free nations and the human rights of their citizens. If we do not promote and defend democracy around the world, the best we can hope for is to be the last to fall. Like our Constitution, democracy and human rights are worth fighting for. So there's been a global decline of democracy. A wave of authoritarianism has swept the world after the Arab Spring. American democracy is under attack by forces both foreign and domestic. The main lever of this attack is extremism and division and the chaos they cause. Democrats must avoid being trapped into negative and divisive attacks, especially those that undermine 
the very foundations of democracy and instill negative attitudes about America and Christianity. This isn't about apportioning blame. It's about moving forward. If Democrats can avoid these five propaganda pitfalls, we may be able to attract the majority of Americans to our democratic ideals. But if Democrats promote Marxist ideology, attack our constitution, push identity politics in our schools, call Christians Nazis, and support dictators, they will and should be voted out of office. We're supposed to protect our country, support our country, support our Constitution and protect our Constitution. The former President Donald Trump and a current candidate to return as leader of the free world just called for the termination of the Constitution to overturn the 2020 election. Virtually every word of that statement is wrong, crazy and dangerous. Seriously the centerpiece of American democracy. But I mean, it does yeah. underline once again his hostility to uh, American way of life and democracy in this country. Can you support a candidate in 2024 who's for suspending the Constitution? Well, again, it, it's early. I think there's going to be a lot of people in the primary. Uh, whoever the Republicans end up pick, I'll fall in behind because that's... Even if it's Donald Trump and he's called for suspending the Constitution? Well, again, I think it's going to be a big field. Because that's not what I'm asking. I'm asking you, if he's the nominee, will you support him? Uh, I will support whoever the Republican nominee is.